podcast i'm matt i'm john i'm steve what's with the pauses i am steve i really am are you Th- i think so unless you're a figment of both our imaginations then you might not actually exist at they all. lied on my before. birth certificate this is just the voices in my head talking aloud. maybe your real name is stefan and you just didn't know if my first name is stefan then john is jan but don't even start john that's, a is Saunders. Oh before, that's a fair point i'd still be i guess i'd be mott mott Matian and Stefan. Oh God, I don't want to. That's terrible. Have that. I don't... <laughs> that's I, that's it's official. It's canon. That's the alternate universe versions of us. They all have go. Well, actually, mine has a goatee, and both of yours don't. Well, listeners I'm of not this, shaving. listeners <laughs> of this episode can I don't know sting us with a possible uh, April Fool's joke if, if they want it. I don't know. I'll let the listeners decide. Okay. And then we'll have to spend the entire episode like that. You realize? Yeah, I know. As as Mott, Jan, and Stefan. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not looking forward to that at all. So hopefully it doesn't happen. Um, I don't have any uh, uh, exciting news or things to bring up. No, other no, no, than no. by the time you're listening to this, the latest Crash Chords Autographs is out. Um, I haven't mentioned it on this show in a little while. Um, and I interviewed the delightful Carly Ritter. So go ahead and go check that out. Mm-hmm. Steve, um, you're not Steve. You're John. Hi, John. Hi. Uh, do you want in to... the same spot every week. <laughs> and yet, I looked at him and went, Steve, I guess it's because you guys spend so much time together, I get confused now. Yeah, we have to be in a car ride over here. You That's just true. need to just sit in your little chair and say, hi guys, and then you show up and do our thing. So, John, the album for this week. I'm sorry, it was a bit bitter. <laughs> a bit. This week, I'll we... field it off. <laughs> we're going to a band that I was kind of intrigued with the first album. A Wall Nation, the first album being Megalithic Symphony. Bit of a mouthful. It had a bunch of really? <laughs> it had a bunch of intriguing hits for me, with the notable sale, a six times platinum song, which is huge. Peaked at seventeen on the Billboard Hot One Hundred. And Kill Your Heroes and the track Not Your Fault. All these songs were pretty big for the time. They didn't hit the top 1,000 best songs of all time. They weren't huge, but they were huge in where they were located. Alternative rock and just plain old rock. They they did something. And as a freshman, to have a six-time platinum song, I was kind of curious when I heard they came out with another record back in March. So I had to pick it. It was one of those things I was kind of intrigued in where their sophomore release was going to go. I gotta say, I didn't really see this in the alt-rock territory, because it seems like they steer clear of rock and tend to prefer more of the electronica stuff. In, it, in even their older work, uh, going back to sale. It was a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They always seem to have a alternative fusion with electronica in their music. I mean, listening to this album, that's kind of obvious, at least from some of the tracks. Yeah, it's a strange kind of fusion, though, because their idea of fusion is, is throwing like, piano ballads at times. So it's like they have this tender side, and that's what I, I think I noticed up front, just between the, uh, the more heavy dance stuff and the, the lighter, sweet, 
anthem tracks. I don't know, yeah. but not even very anthem tracks. Fall in love to this song kind of tracks. I feel like that's the, what they're going for. Well, it's it, it it is true that their music definitely is geared uh, heavily towards radio play and things of that sort. Yeah. So it was friendly, very catchy. Friendly themes. Yeah, whether or not it was anthemic, they were always just earworms, mm-hmm. at least for me. And uh, way back when, in 2011, when I was first listening to them, I was seeing them everywhere. Uh, being used in commercials, showing up on the radio, showing up on TV, playing for, you know, Good Morning America and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was, they, they kind of like broke out big. So it's been a little while since they uh, actually released something or at least released a studio album because they've had several extended plays where there's a lot of extra content that they had in sort of a live setting kind of a situation that did make the rounds and including one of the songs on this album. When we get to it, I'll mention it. Uh, so it, it, I just really needed to, you know, hear where they went. And where they went, uh, I guess now's the time to discuss that. All right. So Shall we begin? Did we you add, run. So yeah, so the album is Run, and the first track is that title track, Run. Um, and when it starts off, it's got this kind of slow electronic beat groove. It's, it's what I kind of expect, what I expected them to be completely, even though they don't stay here very long. It's almost like a modular synth, like the old yeah. school style modular synth. And it pretty much sets the tone of the track. And I don't mean in terms of just sound effect, but really more in terms of what it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's the motif that kind of drives the song. It's deep enough really to be the bass line, but it's also a little bit wonky. It's got kind of an old school feel. Uh, but they layered on with more modern things. The next element you get is the strings, mostly cello I hear, maybe some uprights, and then of course you have to accept the fact that maybe it's entirely fake, and it's just, you know, they're, they're, uh, instrumentals. Those long dramatic, I guess would be the term to call them, violin or cello work, was kind of pointing towards a more instrumental piece as opposed to a more natural piece. Like it didn't, a little it bit felt regular. very, yeah, it didn't feel very, even if they were like real session musicians, they didn't, you know, they weren't really letting them experiment. They yeah. just had a job and they did it. I would definitely say the first thing is, at least for, especially the first two minutes of this song, instrumentally, it's very repetitive. It's kind of the same thing, kind of just taking you through this steady motion. You do have some things, though, because by the time the vocals enter in, it enters with the piano, which is sort of a nice little element in itself. This is sort of, the, I think, the weirdest uh, the weirdest element of the band themselves, because it, I noticed this as the first track, and they keep it going for, for successive tracks, where they have sort of this strange hypnotic repetition that I didn't really expect, because the second they start, they start off they're sort of really sweet. You feel as if there's, it's going to be a melody, but then it, it turns into more of a chant, not really singing, but more just chanting but yet they're in a nice you know uh dominant spotlight register uh, mixing wise they're also very background oriented at the same time it's it's uh yelling from far away kind of effect going on no right but see here. that's not what i heard in the very beginning it felt like there was more of a spotlight and that it was should have been more no, of a it character. was a spo- it was a spotlight but it was still recorded as sort of a breathy far from the mic kind of a situation, which is something I was expecting from AWOL Nation with their previous songs. It it did a lot to really add to that chanting kind of mentality that you, you spoke of. Well, let's look at the lyrics, because I heard this very up close, um, and this was the words, I am a human being capable of doing terrible things. I am a human being capable of doing terrible things. And he repeats this ad nauseum. You feel like that's going to be the first line of the melody, like, well, enter story. But instead, that's just the sole chant. It sounds like he's kind of wrapped up in that notion. Uh, you're already kind of a hypnotic, you know, self, um, self-analysis self feel. 
I mean, AWOL Nation, I was expecting to get something kind of techno-feeling, something in the vein of Daft Punk, maybe. So repetitive lyrics is not something super foreign to anyone who listens to Daft Punk. Well, I was unfamiliar with the, with the band, so I So was know. I, but I just, I don't know, my, that's where my brain kind of went. Sometimes I kind of just get an impression based on the name. Um, so that kind of repetitive lyric-driven setup I wasn't super surprised by. I was kind of surprised with where it went, though. And that was the fact that for the the majority of the beginning of this song, there's really not a whole lot of change. There's some additional layer work on, on the rhythm section, but there's not a whole lot going on otherwise, and it's a little disappointing. I, I will say, though, if that's what you're looking for, then yeah, it's going to be disappointing. But I kind of like how sort of honest they were about it from the get-go. Yeah. They have these, these, uh, these, these rounds, these instruments that do their job, and the process, I think, between... Uh, between the strings, between that, that synth in the background, between the piano and the vocals, each one kind of, I don't know, it puts you in this strange zone. Like, especially by the time we got the, the percussion after, like, the, the next verse, which sort of starts off, like, wood blocks, and then that kind of leads us into more of, like, a hip-hop uh, beatbox thing. Sparse, but not, you know, not, not too cluttered. I was pretty much in the zone at this point. I, don't, I wasn't terribly judgmental as far as an opening t- track goes. Um, and then we get another chorus. And then they start doing something a little weird. This is, I, I would call it the first decisive change in the piece. The cellos start taking over this figuration, the sort of that they were doing in the beginning, but now it seems simplified. And it's really just down to the cellos at this point. That seems to be all that's there, and all yeah. the other instruments are gone, even the, the synth is gone. And it's just like this minimalist version of the beginning. And then all of a sudden, they just halt for a beat. And at this point, the vocalist steps in and just utters on that fourth beat, run in this sort of this soft, nondescript, plain fashion, and then all of a sudden we dive right into this other, more heavily industrialized sound. That half a beat ended up being, to me, like a great little turning point for the track itself. Yeah, and it was a bold move also for our first track. Especially because it's it's immediately following the uh, another repetition of I'm a human being capable of doing terrible things. And mm-hmm. it's almost a whispery kind of warning that is does a good job of impacting emotion minimalistically. It it adds a drama to the track, and I think it also comes from the fact that that line leading up to run, it's almost like as if you were locked in a room with a psychopath and he was telling you this over and over again, and then opened the door and said, run. And and the that kind of narrative you can piece together is interesting, considering the song beyond that doesn't have a whole lot narrative-wise. Well, I did like the fact, for instance, that that's only really one half of this. I mean, that that's like one step. It's a very steep step, but there's another mm-hmm. one uh, shortly to follow. This is after, you know, after a, a section of that industrial thing. Then it takes a, maybe a four to, to 16 bars or something like that. I didn't count, but it wasn't terribly long before finally we get into this much deeper like super guttural industrial tone mm-hmm. like it takes that a whole nother nine yards and it's this sounds gurgling it sound it's slower too it's not uh on on every and instead now it's on on every quarter note any faster you wouldn't really be able to perceive it and at this i mean it almost sounds like a completely different track here and to do this you know toward the latter uh the latter stretch of an opening track that started off I'm not going to say positive and uplifting. Certainly the words, I'm a human being capable of doing terrible things, is not an uplifting sentiment. No. But it wasn't a terribly confrontational track in the beginning. No. Uh, at the end, it's extremely confrontational. It's trying to make you unsettled. Yeah. It, it ends with, you people are mistaken if you think that I'm awake, 
and celebrating anything that I've become. And I, I really love the rhythm in which he says that you people are mistaken if you think that I'm awake and celebrating anything that I've become. Very regular and, yeah. ro and robotic. Just as robotic as he's kind of been the whole track, but... But at this point, you know, the music matches it. And you're not going to be thrown, perhaps, as I was in the beginning. It still adds an unease. It takes you to that kind of uncanny valley, humanoid, robot kind of speak. Exactly. Which will put anyone off and make you a little unnerved. The strange thing about the, the way the track ends, though, is the soundbite. Yeah, a, it just cuts. Complete ending, and then all of a sudden we get... A phone call, or it's, a voicemail, rather. Yeah, it, it sounds like someone's calling them up to, you know, just Ch check, check in and check chat. In. The, and the paraphrase is, is something like, you know, sup, homeboy, it's Ryan. You know, I'm working next week. Sorry I didn't call you back. Just calling in to say hi. Uh, how's it going? We got to do something soon. I know we keep saying that, but, but we do. It's just it's one of those like really throwaway messages that sounds like there's some history there. It, it's interesting, yeah. It sounds like the, the, the caller is trying to make a connection. Yeah. And, it, you know, obviously through voicemail, you can't really. You always try. The longer you talk on a voicemail, the more desperate or ridiculous you sound. You're essentially playing tag from, like, yeah. miles and miles away. You're like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't get you. <laughs> this could go on for years. Yeah. It just was an odd way to end the track. It didn't seem related. And I don't know that it, it does. I mean, we'll talk about that again later. But it just it seems bizarre to kind of end the track with that voicemail. If it was a, if it was a voicemail of someone calling him and then screaming because they were bu brutally murdered, that might have made more sense. Well, perhaps. I, I mean, it, I don't know. It's the kind of thing where I feel like maybe the, the lyrics in this track were a bit of an over-exaggeration, but at the same time, if, if you know, you're a human being capable of doing terrible things, <laughs> and yeah, I feel like he's in such a... Uh, I feel like he's down a dark path or yeah. something, and the phone call almost, almost implies a kind of... Uh, uh, frayed connections as a result of this right. dark path. Uh, this is pure speculation at and this point. Isolation, it, I think, might be uh, uh, an even stronger way to phrase it because it is a phone he hasn't picked up. Yeah, It's a message he's heard. It is someone who has been sort of alienated from his life already. Perhaps. So it's an interesting little like take when you're already It does suggest, that though, monster. that, I mean, maybe this is over-analysis on this one little point, but it's a curious little point. I mean, it's a very, very... Uh, it's, obviously, the soundbite is full of details. You know, you right. kind of want to peer into it. But the thing is, what he does say is is that he tried to call the character that is the singer or whatever, if you interpret the, the you, the other person yeah. as the singer, then, you know, that he tried to contact him and he's calling him back. So I don't know. I don't yeah. know. This is maybe oh. silly details for the end of track one. Let's go into track two, Fat Face. So this song starts out from the moment, the first note, you get this kind of indie rock vibe. We've heard this before on the podcast, off the podcast, we've talked about it. It I kind of slips right into up, it. It's a straight up piano ballad to me. Yeah. You could kind of sway along to this. The chord progressions are, they're very tried and true. You're talking major one, minor two, major five, yeah. perfect fourth, and then, you know, Nothing really crazy there. They it's, throw it up with a minor six at some point. It's and, a slow piano intro that's pretty, and it, the vocals come in shortly after. There's not much to it beyond that, I, I feel. I did like the vocals. Yeah. I like the harmonies here. It took me a while to enjoy the vocals, because at first, while they do come off very smooth, they came off as kind of a little bit too tinny in their echo, until I made the connection that Steve brought up of, of Floyd, of the wall, and the kind of style that they were doing there because well, that, that was that, that was in the latter was, stretch of the of the track yeah uh, in, because the in the beginning it feels like one of those almost childish level uh, mics that just echo your voice it was it wasn't that bad i mean it was, was well mixed but it was 
almost there for me. There was reverb. It was certainly uh, a heavy layer of reverb, but it, it didn't it didn't really throw me or anything. And as you just kind of like swaying along with the piano ballad, I really didn't have anything anything for or against it. But there were certain moments that kind of reached out, like around I don't know one minute forty seconds as they go to as the piano goes to like a minor second. Then the vocal harmonies step in here and they hold out this this A and F together, which fills out this nice ninth chord to combine it. I, it's a it's a little cheap, but I love it. <laughs> and you know the round it just kind of keeps going. It sounds like the melody is sort of stuck in a little bit of a loop until it finally takes that turn. Uh, at the end, where it seems like the chords keep going, but the, the, the vocals completely change. Like John said, they just sound like they're in the background, completely distant, this time sort of yelling from afar, and the lyrics are quite different at this time. No grace faking on the floor, fat face, swallow me no more. No grace faking on the floor, with, thi with this fat face, swallow me no more. And it just goes in that round, just yelling it seems from the distance out of desperation my biggest problem with this track is even though it does have shifts at points all in all it's fairly even it doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't get wild and crazy the last track kind of was a little all over the place and gave us some interesting things here besides the piano moments that you mentioned it stays fairly even throughout well i do want to stress the the i mean that the difference between these two vocal styles left me a little bit more accepting of it just because I, I sort of liked the, the split between the two, mm -hmm. the harsh split. Again, I feel like he's kind of channeling some kind of, I don't know, inner demon here, and then he right. just returns to something very uh, very satisfying, or in this case, the reverse. He starts off with very sad, that very satisfying uh, vocal melody. I walk to the rhythm of the rhythm of your heart. Yeah. I mean, even that line, it almost feels very childish. Yeah. The rhythm of the rhythm, I, I almost felt the need to nitpick there, but it's just it's just so sweet. And then finally he's just screaming his lungs out. Yet at the same time, there was a peaceful quality of it. It didn't feel like it was becoming confrontational. It, the yelling in the background felt it felt it uh, felt. It felt smothered by the chords themselves. That it felt were, impotent in a yeah, lot of yeah, ways. Yes, exactly. From here we go to Hollow Moon parentheses Bad Wolf, which I immediately peered through the song trying to find uh, Doctor Who references. I don't think they're there. I don't think so. Um, so the the intro to this was kind of interesting, what they were trying to do here. This felt like more of a reach back to, like, the 80s. I mm -hmm. mean, this is kind of that 80s synth style. Uh, nothing particularly new, but it was a little bit more revved up. Um, it just it kind of starts off in three, but they sort of throw in some measures of two there. So it's a little bit... In, in sort of the 80s industrial, or maybe more the 90s industrial vein, but using 80s synth sound effects, it's scatterbrained. It's trying to maybe throw you off a little bit, do like an IDM thing, kind of, sort of. But ish. Yeah, ish. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's aiming for almost an anthemic sound here. The vocals themselves are kind of bland. They're just really yeah. sort of yelling in rhythm or chanting in rhythm. You know, I've been running from it all my lifetime. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm searching for my right mind. Oh, you should have seen it. They were resting on the restless. This happened, literally. Woke up. I was headless. I woke up. I was headless. And you don't really hear that through here. Yeah. There's a lot of just... But, well, it is apparent, but maybe it's just that the rest of the sound, of course, kind of smothering it. But then again, it takes a really, really strange turn. The hook here is almost, like, funky. Yeah, it's, it's almost complete. It, it had a catchiness that I really dug. It was, But it felt a little divorced from the rest of the track. It's a hook with the chorus, of course. Yeah. But... 
I'm going to make a deal with the bad wolf so the bad wolf don't bite me no more. It's that repetition six times, coupled with the big speed uh, pickup that was going on right there. That wasn't doing much more than simply modulating between different different sections of the rhythm. And it it was losing me fairly quickly after the first repetition, let alone the second and third that subsequently show up. I, I will agree. The rep- I mean, just sort of the predictable nature of this, you know, and how it kind of pivots back and forth, and it will always land you back on that hook, which, of course, is enjoyable. I really like the, the rhythm in this. It's like, I'm going to make a deal with the bad wolf, so the bad wolf don't... I don't know. It's, it's, it's not really funky. It almost really reaches more toward an 80s pop song than anything else. I mean, I think I like the chorus, I agree, but it did feel a little dated. It felt like it was from a previous time, whether it's Even, 90s or 90s Perhaps that it was 80s. actually in two simultaneous times. Yeah. There's also a little nitpicky part I got towards the last third. There was a an alternating percussion piano back and forth showcase piece going on yeah it was a slightly heavier instrumental with sort of this halting rhythm it wasn't didn't seem to really be messing with the time signature but it was a little it was a little disjointed um it 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 was just more screaming (laughs) yeah it was just going back and forth and then it was that final little that third chorus that really really broke it for me that it's almost like the end of it it was just it was just too much it was just too much of the same thing over and over again well, I won't really say that the, the that final chorus, like at the tail end, was what really killed it for me, but rather the the screaming that led up to it. The the yeah. screaming beforehand is is again that sort of like distant, pained screaming, but this time it sounds more angry. It's more the kind of screaming you'd expect from like a something that you'd mosh to or something Marilyn more heavy Manson. metal, Marilyn Manson oriented. And it just again, it didn't really match over this otherwise pretty like uplifting i'm not gonna say uplifting chord necessarily but it's the same chord progression that was born out of that more spastic part but the chord that it's not really going in dark territory it's just a little bit disjointed that's all i've heard music like this with like a screaming chorus like that that it's worked i mean nine Chanel's previous work where you're leading up emotionally to something that warrants a screaming reaction or an emotional reaction and we didn't really just get that in that this song it didn't happen and also, that moment the lead up wasn't there also the difference to I mean, speaking to John's point, the fact that that, that final time they returned to uh, the chorus, I'm going to make a deal with the bad wolf. I mean, they hadn't really done that in previous tracks. Normally when yeah. they make a shift, they kind of keep that shift to the end of the song, which maybe is at least implying something that there was some dra- dramatic fall or some dramatic failure to reconcile. Uh, and then normally you don't just return back to the beginning. Here right. they return back to the beginning, um, although I do believe the chorus was a little bit more uh, muffled this yeah. time. So... Yeah, kind of, I will admit, there's something catchy in that chorus, in that hook, sure. at least the first few times it was it was uh, released, it was all much much cleaner, but only in a very numbing sense. The whole track kind of had this, left me with this numbing, numbed sensation. Right, and it's hard to tell whether that was intentional or it was just from discord and dislike. All right, let's go to track four, Jailbreak. So this song is the first time that I feel we get a really, really strong setting, at least. It feels, from the moment it starts, very dark and gloomy, almost surreal. I liked how this began. I liked uh, the fact that it began with a slow, like, deadening... Not deadening, but it was a trudge, and it was full of accents. I felt this almost as, as, like, a slow 55 BPM kind of range. You know, one, and two, and three. And it might have been in double time, but in that case, it'd be just a pretty moderate 110. It had to do with the accents, though, the way it just, like, comes down so harsh on every beat. If it's slow, that one, and two, and very 
impactful and I think the fact that maybe it was taking its time and putting more emphasis just on those accents it was it was it was stronger it gave it a I don't know something more more earnest perhaps than the earlier tracks where you don't know whether you're in dance terry territory or you don't know whether you're in industrial territory right. this was just sure. coming from a some place you could hone well the vocals in this case this is the first time I really feel like they're becoming a forefront character as opposed to working with the music the music here is working with what he's singing this was for me just a lot more pleasant because i was really starting to enjoy some of the story work aspects that they're putting in this because this is one of the few times that it doesn't feel like everything is just repetitive over and over and over again Oh, before the lyrics, first a note on the the vocals themselves. Uh, here, I finally felt like he was singing, really, just like letting it out. It was quite beautiful. He, he even revealed the fact that he has this very delicate vibrato, like toward the ends of his phrases. It's 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 tasteful. It has this swoon-like quality to it, and it also comes across well when he's talking in a very delicate kind of manner, with some kind of uh, exposing lyrics. Okay. See, I've been working on a jailbreak, got no time for a new faith. Any moment they'll replace me. Should have tried to get to know you. I've been working on my timing, insecurity beside me. But your taste is so inviting, should have tried to get to know you. That chorus that follows all these up, now I'm living in a dream, now I'm living in a dream, and I don't think I'm ever going to wake up. There's some impact going on right here that I, I, I found very just absent in the first few tracks of this album. Well, I felt like they're accomplishing more with less in this track. You got to be able to focus on those lyrics and the fact that there's a narrative because there was a lot less going on, but still intricate in what it was providing. Furthermore, though, the marriage between that verse and the chorus I thought was really, really uh, excellently done. I mean, just coming from that sort of slow trudge into this chorus where the vocals are certainly heavier, but not as grating as as earlier cases. Instead, here, they just sort of, they, they, they keep the figurations, they keep the trudge going. Meanwhile, the vocals just sort of this I don't and I don't think I'm ever gonna wake up and they like fall downwards and I like the way the harmonies enter in here like, there's something something more impactful in the fact that they're heavier contrasting the swooning style well most of the flourishes and the additional work that goes into what that light piano had started is very predictable but it's predictable in the way where okay if you want to do emotional impact of this sort these are the keys that you go into and i kind of guessed them as we're going along i didn't know exactly every turn but in that case it's it's just not very inventive musically so i had to focus on the vocals in this case yeah no i i, I agree with that but it's um but that said the song overall was a lot more enjoyable i feel yeah, and, the, and maybe maybe the I, I think it was it was both. I think it was both the, the just the basic figuration that they chose, which probably in many ways is simpler than some of the earlier things that they did on this album. But I think simplicity worked in this case. You combine that with the vocals, and the two just worked really well. That said, uh, we're not quite through it here because we have no. this really sweet piano breakdown that sort of punches through the industrial sound. That's kind of cool, and it keeps it from being too too overbearing. Some more concrete emotions step through. <laughs> this is sort of a strange shift. I, I, I don't know if we want to call this the, the bridge, perhaps, but the ooh, ooh, mama, it's a jailbreak. It's a, it's a jailbreak. Ooh, ooh, mama, it's a jailbreak. It's, it's a jailbreak. And I thought the, the lyrics there were a little bit silly, but I still enjoyed the playful 
And they introduced like whistling at the very end of the track. Yeah. It just it felt kind of like what was hinting at like a lighthearted side of the dark. Now is just intentionally being very light sided, and it just seemed a little weird. Uh, I don't think it was it it, it destroyed the track for me. I don't. Oh, me neither. I okay. just think it was odd. It was very focused on doing one specific job, which was to be lighthearted in tone, but kind of uh, shrouded darkness in nature, and I, they tried to do everything that can do that in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Why wouldn't you so. have whistling? I'm living in a dream. Of course gotta have whistling. <laughs> Some of us can't whistle, Steve. I can whistle. Oh, that's, that's a shame. Steve can whistle, I know that. Don't judge me. Anyway. <laughs> okay. From here, we'll go to track five. Kooks everywhere with three exclamation points, and it's all one word in You're caps. You're mispronouncing it still. It's Cooks everywhere. Cooks everywhere. Yeah. You have to put in the yeah because of the exclamation The implied points. yeah. Got it. There you go. That's so this, this song has um, in, an interesting but pointless intro. I mean, I wouldn't say interesting. A different but pointless intro. This sounds like a live crowd kind of the chatting. Live crowding, the live crowding. Like a living room I think it closes show. off the last track and sort of goes into this track yep. um, at the same time. And then it starts with a kind of really odd beat structure. It's more like a punk track. It's, yeah. up, it's, it's, it's a dance punk track, it's but it's beat. not... Upbeat, and I don't mean just upbeat that it's upbeat, although it actually is upbeat, but it's it's that um, upbeat emphasis, that one, and, and, you know, that whole thing. Um, I don't know if this necessarily fit. I was a little bit, I was a little bit disheartened by that, even despite the fact that it it, felt... I'm sure it's very rousing, but it was more the chord progressions that bothered me here. Just the fact that it's obviously much faster paced than the last track, but it only barely sounds frantic because it's not really tensing you up it's not really revving you up how much no. can you really do with just the the one four five progression you know it's i don't know it was it was it's very not just it, that it, for me though there was really only three lines of music going on it it stayed there it, it was so stable throughout and to go from that to uh the quote slow chorus to really get uh, musically to really get like an impact part bothered me even further it just—it was an odd figuration, the whole thing, and I think also it felt less engaging than the previous track. Um, and like even like lyrically, there's a moment where just in the middle of the song, he says, "I'm sorry," very matter-of-factly, almost as a whisper. That's just kind of randomly in the middle of the lyrics. There's it not feels, even anything leading up to it. It felt almost as if there was going to be a transition there, like we yeah. were going to break the cycle. Um, there were cellos, like, right before that. He likes to use these cellos in those moments of, you know, okay, everybody, this, this is this is the moment. We're going to change it up. And then he just says this one little utterance, I'm sorry. And then we, this hardly a shift. He just goes right back to the chorus again with, uh, I think, different lyrics this time around. But uh, I don't know. I didn't really know how to interpret this track. That said, th- he says a lot over the course of it. You don't yeah. realize how much he's saying, perhaps because the track is so fast-paced. He gets to kind of cram in a lot here. Let's just take a sample. The sweet, sweet habit, it feels like defeat, yeah. The gold, cold blood, it covers my feet, yeah. These bitches keep bitching and twitching their toes, you know. I know that nobody knows, so don't go, baby. Don't go. There's, it's, it's, There's something it's, there. It's just not quite clear what. Well, it gets cleared up in the chorus. Baby, it's gold blood, cold blood, 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 gold blood, cold blood. What is gold blood? What the? I don't get it. It's just a repetition. The gold, cold blood, the hole in her chest, yeah. The rubies and gold are from the hole in her chest, yeah. But if you learn something, take nothing from me. I know that love is a terrible, terrible thing. 
I don't know. I don't feel like this matches the song. No, I think no, that's no. my problem. Well, and also, like, I'm getting more emotion from you reading it than when he was singing it in the track. And then even later on, we move on to, like, we get our uh, standard breakdown. No, but, we get two breakdowns. But the first one doesn't feel breakdown-y enough. Like, it just doesn't feel like a breakdown. And then the second one doesn't really expand on that either. All right, well, looking at the first one, the one where he sort of says, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it seems I still kind of hear the same the same chorus there. It's not the cold blood thing. It's just maybe it's because I interpreted it as a chorus. It's not really the chorus. It's right. just those same those same chords over and over again, and we get completely different lyrics. Eyes are all around me now. They see now they see me now they don't. Eyes are all around me now. They're looking at a ghost. Eyes are all around me, and it goes on and on like that. I don't know. I still cried because I love you the most. There's a lot of passion in this in and the I, words, I see... but not in the delivery or the song. It's just this this sort of... I, well, let's talk about the second. Let's talk about the second uh, uh, breakdown. Because the second breakdown, it seemed like we were going to get something a little bit different. So the guitars sort of step in here and fuse with the synth, and they get a little bit more guttural. But that said, I think it just transitioned right back to the gold blood cook cold blood thing. Yeah. So it, every single time he kind of gets, you know, tries to match the music with the, the theme or with the emotion, he just sort of snaps right back, and I don't really get a lot out of Gold Cold Blood. I the, the words are, are a little lost on me. They just seem irrelevant, almost. And then it has one of the worst tropes in the music industry, a super long fade-out. Like, it just rings on for forever uh, for a song like this. 15, 20 seconds of just slowly dialing down the volume. It was... I just wanted the song to move on at that point because it was the chorus again, and it was very unnecessary. Uh, just s sitting with these lyrics for like uh, the few moments that I just sat with them, I, I feel like this is maybe like a Midas touch kind of thing, almost. And the idea that like, you know, the gold blood, that it's cold blood, like, you know, you're not going to find emotion in something that maybe you hoist up on a, on a pedestal a little bit. Sure. Oh. Yeah, that's definitely sure worthy. Yeah, uh, I just, I, I, I mean, if I, that came out of my mouth, I would have said sure. The rubies are gold, or from the hole in her You're chest. You're reaching a little. I don't bit. think so. I really don't. I really don't think I'm reaching. But it doesn't really would, change. Here's the it. question: What is gold coming out of her chest? Rubies, I can see. That's obviously blood and what have you. Cold blood, yes, blood that has been removed from the body because someone's dead. Okay, gold. Where's the gold? The references to gold don't make sense. And I don't see anything that's, that's really supporting I... a Midas touch idea or turn everything in the world to... Not like explicitly, just the concept of how we perceive gold in general as being this sort of like ultimate reach, but always kind of a, a, a cold, you know, the money grubber who always, you know... I guess. Uh, yeah, but that meaning, know. if that's the meaning they were going for, it is lost on me. It really is. You know, a lot Musically, of people see relationships in that light. And they see their, a person in their life in that light, and that's why it falls apart. And something is clearly falling apart here. I mean, that I'll agree with. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get, and beyond all that, I don't get any of that emotionality from the song. I get it mostly just from you trying to interpret it. I don't really get that from his delivery or the song itself. Well, it's also very self-critical. I, I hope at least you'll admit that. Yes, it yes. Is. I mean, her eyes are all around me because she's looking at a ghost. And this is not a new concept here. No. We've had actually about three different albums that have all had the, the word ghost in them. Fun fact. Carbon Leaf's Ghost Dragon Attacks Castle. Well, maybe you can leave that one also on the side. But Coldplay's Ghost Stories and OK Go's Hungry Ghosts both kind of circled around this idea of the the 
metaphor you see me as a ghost yeah, you know right. I'm, I'm i'm here but i'm not here there's something wrong and I, i'm a little tired of it to be honest Fair enough. Granted, of course, that's just of the selections that we chose over the course of our 163 episodes. We happen to stumble upon a lot of ghosts. Let's look at the next track. I am so a ghost. at this point a ghost? in the Is album. A ghost? <laughs> at theorizing. this point on the album, I feel like I, that they're messing with me. The band collectively is trolling me. Like I just now this one, if I recall correct, was another like kind of on the slower side, kind of chanty song. It was a tap oriented piano in the beginning it was focused again on the lyrics these lyrics i really like these are starting to come across as as poetry um that i think would work very well uh on their own these friends of mine will come and go i'm the first to leave and last to know i'll be swimming in a face of flames for these friends of mine i've overpaid and i guess i wanted i guess i wanted i just wanted you to know I like that. That has that feels like it's got a lot more emotion connected to it than talking about being a ghost. Even despite the idea of, of sort of leaving it blank, I am as if he doesn't quite know himself, perhaps. But th- th- everything fits the whole piano ballad style again, with the strings in the background doing this light tremolo. And the piano, it's not, it's not really a piano ballad, because the piano is really just like tapping away steadily with the acoustic guitar kind of stepping in to complement it, which is a little bit of a, a new element on this album, and I, I enjoyed it, how everything just barely combines. Not not like a complex line of anything, but they, they, they work together just to create this very simple, sweet intro, which I, I honestly, I think maybe I prefer more in contrast to the heavier tracks here. Um, they at least get closer to the emotional feel. And then the piano transitions, they're kind of sweet. And then finally, the hook, which is very uplifting. It does go back to that, but I feel some earnesty in this, at least. All of these things make me who I am. Maybe all of these things make me who I am. And I am only looking up when my head's down. I enjoy it. I like the transition. The build wasn't really there, and the transition can be a little bit jarring, but I feel like it does flow from one to the other fairly well for what the two different elements are doing, especially when it comes out of the chorus back into the verse, because during the chorus, the piano starts actually playing instead of just tapping, and that becomes a major through line in the second verse. When they go back into it, though, that verse is so short. It's got extra percussion work on top of it. It's got extra little tidbits here and there, and the piano started doing something, but it goes for just a fleeting moment, and it goes right back into the chorus. And that was a major issue because the second chorus just felt so long afterwards because there was no change. It was another rendition. Well, it's like I said, I mean, it's 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 a nice idea, the whole, like, anthem, like, you know, all of these things make me who I am. And to be honest, I think I see it and I hear it maybe as more of a positive thing. But I don't think that's necessarily what he's going for, which is why, again, there's maybe it's that contrast that that is what I see throughout this album that he's he's employing, he seems to be employing, at least on a very conscious level. Uh, it's just, it, I don't know how to, how, to, how to feel at the end of the day, you know, when you I just throw like... an anthem-like, feel good about yourself track, all these things make me who I am, but I don't think he's implying those are good things at all. I think also that the song just feels kind of empty. At its core, it feels a little soulless. It's just, I don't, I'm not, even though it's this kind of chanting, anthem-y, chorus i don't feel overwhelmed i feel mostly just whelmed at this point 
especially when we hit between the halfway and two-third mark when everything feels like it's starting to get smothered and you think the song's ending and you're getting yeah yeah ooh someone left the lights on you get a repetition of that several times and the song just it gets so muffled overall that well it feels like one of those fade outs and then it goes into something curious a really a really pretty not not mind-blowing but very pretty piano piece well, I think it was just that little interlude, correct? Yeah. Like, just yeah. that little brief interlude that may have lasted over, like, something like four measures between these segments, um, where it's sort of like the piano is together again with the acoustic, but this time also with the electric guitar, and they together form this, like, very sweet chime-like sound. I really, really adored it, but it was so brief. It was fleeting. It's yeah. just like, why even have it? Having a moment like that so short is like, it's cliche and gimmicky. There's no reason. Well, it I I'm not going to go so far as to say gimmicky. It was just a bit mm, of a tease. It was the, the, the big issue be, is that when the chorus steps right back in with absolutely no recognition to what preceded it. It well, just jumps right back that, in. Yeah. Choruses do that. <laughs> but it was, are... this was a very unnecessary chorus. Yeah. It, that's 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 the worst part of this, is that we have to go through that course again, and I was already tired it on the second repetition. I did not need more. Yeah, what it's... the piano guitars were doing could have been like a nice weird where are they going kind of an outro. Maybe it starts promoting a dreamlike state. Maybe it starts promoting a very beautiful state. Maybe it's a positivity. But going right back into the chorus, just just did not work. It, it's certainly the repetition that I think is hurting this the most. Otherwise, I believe they have a lot of good elements. They have uh, stable elements. They have engaging elements. But the elements only last for so long. Um, otherwise, like otherwise, I would say that's another transition between the initial verse and the initial chorus that worked really well. And you feel like you landed somewhere. We do listen to a lot of albums where we come across anthems and, and hooks and choruses that just feel so empty and I feel like, at least in, in its initial idea here, they're not empty. They have something to say. Uh, and I will definitely agree with that. That is just, something they do feel married. They do feel like they are It's the driving the at home. Song. It's the driving at home that I think is where the, they, they kind of oversell it a bit. Yes. That's, that's actually a great way of putting it. Because the anthem for, for the, 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 the niceness of the chorus itself, how great the chorus actually is does not come off as anthemic. It's a right. little bit too long that way, and the repetition isn't as concise to really become anthemic. It's sure. The phrase work is just too long to be something like Youth of the Nation kind of anthemic, which feels like what they were going for. Yeah. I will say one other thing, though, to this track's credit and to the, the, the style's credit, at least, that I don't think they completely shroud this in... Uh, the bare bones pop style, the pop format. In other words, I think that even though you might be a little nitpicky as to which direction the track takes, I think it does sort of leave it open and leave it up in, up in the air as to which direction it could go because of those harsh shifts that they've taken earlier on. It doesn't make it seem as if it's a very basic pop structure that has verse and chorus, verse, chorus. Of course, it does have that, but because of those little things they do, it, it kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit, and I think that's something to its credit. And last uh, but not least about this track, another thing they do, they have little codas, little, like, codas that they just slap at the end um, that don't really match with, with any segment. In this case, hypnotized from the day you were born, 
hypnotized from the day you were born. Little head scratchers that make you wonder. I, I don't really, I, again, can't really say anything for or against them at this point, but it's a, it's a, it's a curious tactic. Yeah, it just it seems an odd thing to do, but. <laughs> well, it's, well, you're speechless. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what else to say about it. One of the things, and I'll pre- uh, preface this by saying, uh, one of the reviews I actually read was talking about how this is sort of a deep novel you got to go look into. This might be just something they're trying to insert into the story or into the the arc of the album story wise, to to try to shroud this sort of dystopian kind of mystery they seem to be slapping on top of it i wouldn't go so far as dystopian mysteries but in a lot of ways yeah because we have a we we started off with a beast but i see a personal story here yeah this feels a lot personal more personal to me too i don't think it's a whole like dystopian future no no no. dystopian from the individual's point of view not societal Eh. i mean it's from that 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 one person and the, the sort of odd way he views the world. Well, let's take this through the lens of the next song, because track seven, Headrest for My Soul, is a very, I mean, I see this as achingly personal. Uh, yeah. The fact, first of all, that it's, it's the, uh, the first acoustic guitar song on, on the track, um, with this, again, kind of swoony-style singing, where he really uh, shows off that vibrato again, that's very strong. He's, doesn't, he's not belting it, he doesn't really have to belt it, uh, but the lyrics themselves kind of speak for themselves, and this time I don't believe it's really shrouded in, in vagaries. There's a leak in this boat, someone tossed me a rope, and a headrest for my a headrest for my soul. There's a leak in this boat, how the hell will I float? Will this headrest for my headrest for my soul? I got a headrest for my headrest for my soul. It, it's maybe there are cliches there. I admit that, but at least you know what he's talking about. Sure. You know, it, I think my problem with this song instrumentally was because it fit that acoustic rock format. It felt very repetitive pretty much from the get-go. Oh, forget acoustic rock. This is just, I mean... It's an it's acoustic guitar. Pop, folk, yeah. acoustic. It really it's a exi- strumming on a guitar. My, my, my point is the strumming became obvious and repetitive within the first minute of well, the track. It's, it's all rhythm guitar. Yeah. It's There's no lead going on right no, here. No, of course not. It does a great job of really... Putting it all on the vocals, and the vocals are good as well. This is there's a lot of, of issues of trying to match up like those screaming vocals to something like this, but here they do a great job of actually mixing it and making the character there. Sure, it's just that what's going on around the character is not interesting enough. It's another case where I'm really focusing on what he's saying, and I like it, I'm enjoying it. I'm not really intrigued because it is. Easy to understand, but there shows that there's some death going on here that we may have missed in the previous tracks. Well, this goes against this goes toward that old rule, you know, one ballad per album. Yeah, <laughs> it always used to be that way, and and you know, it would be the moment that you wait for because it's just oh, it's so sweet. He pours his heart out there, and I don't know. I guess this, even though I think they they hinted at other ballads earlier or they had ballad styles earlier, I think this really takes the cake. It just. It just seems like such a reduction of that format because yeah. it really doesn't go anywhere, and, and each each melodic phrase is just in this sort of self-contained round. It, it you know every uh, every four lines here, pretty much, or sometimes even three lines. Let the whispers unfold, and darling, do what you're told. A headrest for my a headrest for my soul. If the hospital burns, if it's really my turn, how the hell will I? How the hell should I learn? This this little sing-song equality that's almost like a nursery rhyme. It feels that it feels that close to home, and you want to really like it. You really do. It just it doesn't have much more to it. 
uh, that's that's its only flaw. Is I I didn't know even know how to feel by the end of it. Is that is the brevity work for it or against it? Because yeah. it makes it simple and sweet, and it doesn't have to say more than the two minutes that it lasts, and then well, the song's done. I was gonna say yeah, the track is fairly short, so I like I wasn't bored per se because didn't last long enough to get bored. But I don't know. I felt like still there was not much to it. I felt like I fell out of it pretty quickly. Well, according to Aaron Bruno, the main focus behind all this music he wrote it all he specifically says in an interview about this album that he was going for something a little more raw a little more aggro and a little strange but still have the nursery rhyme feel of melody because that's the only way i know how to write <laughs> well all right that's blunt it, i mean it's it, pretty he, blunt and forward about it but i mean i i, I get that part it's just that nursery rhymes like this don't always really get the impact uh, uh, that you may want to go for. Well, at least at least we found an artist who just all right. <laughs> he He's very that's, clear that's, about how he writes. This is what I what I do. All right. Well, you know you have to take it one one dose at a time. This is track seven in here, and the fact that it lasts for two minutes. I don't think I was terribly critical for, for this track. At least I I see these sort of tracks as a breather. I think amidst um, some of the more. Some of the more heavier tracks, and I think that's what we're going to get with track eight, Dreamers. That said, I really did dig the intro. Uh, just this, the very beginning here with this, like, 8-bit thud beatbox. Like, picture an NES and that, that lowest sound that the NES 8-bit, uh, you know, uh, sound box could make. And that's kind of the way this begins. And then it just sort of, like, thrusts you straight into this industrial backdrop, which is nothing terribly new for the album, but it was a little bit more, um, it was a little heavier, it was a little more in-your-face but then it does kind of just settle. The vocals here, I think, were my biggest problem, and that's that's more what I was getting at uh, with this transition here. The 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 chorus itself, and now I got nine bloody dreamers on the dance floor. Nine bloody dreamers on the dance floor, and that that's again, it's just that one line for the duration of the chorus. And all I really hear is just this rah rah rah, like it, it's so. The, the way he's yelling it, I just I don't know. It's not coming across to me very well. He's taking the structure of what would be called heavy rock or new metal now and kind of breaking it down to its most cliche basic structure and that's what he's pursuing I think in this, this song. sits somewhere between the whole new metal industrial thing and it's just I think my biggest problem is that it does feel very I don't want to say pointless because I feel like it's unfair to call anyone's music pointless unless you're Nickelback that said I just feel like it does feel a little cliche here. I kind well, of see what's coming. There's there's little additions to the rhythm that's going on here. There's more just substitutions of aspects of the rhythm section. And there's nothing really further than that rhythm section. The melody starts really not being a melody at all. It's just a way to keep the song going. Especially when the chorus is really just... It's the anthem again. Yeah, it's a height. The anthem doesn't really have to be melodic, ever. It, it, the anthem can be just as simple as a chant, and that's kind but of what I get. But the verse doesn't come off as an anthem, even though it's still within the same framework. No, I, I don't mean anthem to, setup. I don't mean to skirt over the verse. Um, I've got a lot to love. I've got a lot to lose. At this point in my life, I'd rather die than lie to you. I'm gonna swim in hell. I've got to rebel. Yell. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> you know, it's it's. All I right. don't know. And then also, like halfway through the, more than halfway through the track, you get these. He goes from singing to screaming and wailing, and it's like there. 
at least if you're screaming and wailing in a track, you need to have an emotion behind it. And I just, I don't feel anything at this point. Like, if you're screaming and wailing with no emotion, that's called carrying on, and nobody wants to hear you do it. I, I just, I feel like it kind of undoes some of the lyrical content we get before it, because it just feels kind of aimless at that point. I definitely mm. see that as well. It, it's, it's, there's a lot of just, I don't want to say this, but if just if it comes off as like a lack of focus on this track. Um, what element? Well, pretty much everything. Oh, everything. <laughs> like, oh, well. There just seemed to be a lack of focus on this track because it doesn't seem to really push any one direction. When things are being replaced as opposed to being built off of or expanded, that's that just comes off as... All right, well, we got to change it up for the chorus. All right, let's change it up a little bit for verse two. All right, well, the, the vocals we haven't touched yet, so now let's start screaming. This, there's a couple of change-ups. I mean, later on, you do get this, like, the, the guitar distortion sound. It kind of, again, is that little, that little break there. This is around, like, 151, and then finally that little transition, wait. And this is actually right after he says... Wait, <laughs> yeah. and then you know it's another one of his little like one-liners just to make you think or change the tone a little bit, and then it goes into something that perhaps was my favorite uh, part of this track. This um constant like round of just sixteenth notes. It's very dynamic. Every instrument seems to step in here. The synths are in. I think the the uh, the violins were in as well, and that kind of just persists into the into the outro. I'm not sure if they closed on that note, but that was. That was what guided the very last stretch of this track. And it was a cool uh, piece of music in of itself. I'm not going to say it was, like, inherently married to the earlier sections, but it did do that much. It did break the form. Which... Rather this, than return to the form. Which I think at this point is kind of what we're looking for. Yeah. So, from, from right. We can go to track nine. Track nine, Windows. This was interesting. It was kind of like a gangster rap song almost from almost, the get-go. Almost, yeah. The beat work was a little repetitive, but very kind of in-your-face, almost aggressive. Um, it definitely it definitely was different from what we've heard so far. But it was just a series of choruses with a, a lack of context for me. One chorus is, off in my head, lost off in my head four times. The next one... Lost are my arms, lost, lost are my legs, lost is my heart, but my new soul stays. We're singing off in my head, my lost off in my head, off in my head, lost. Well, I don't think all of these lines, like, together are really choruses. Again, it's just his, his tendency to sort of have this, this repetitive nature, even if he's not really saying, like, you know, lost are my arms, lost, lost are my legs, lost is my heart, but my new soul, my new soul stays. That's sort of like, he just, he, he makes it feel as if there is, but like, even when he's saying new things, new content, new, new, uh, new ideas, he just sort of goes back to the same, the same themes. He makes it sound as if he wants to, to give off this robotic feel, and well, it seems, at every, at every turn. Well, I would, and I would say that, uh, the vocals here do have a very hip-hop uh, orientation as well. You get a sense of that just from the way he's singing. Uh, I'm not going to go so far as to say that. I don't think the vocals were terribly hip-hop. It's really more the backbeat itself that, that sounds hip-hop. The backbeat is just like, even with little piano inserts, it seems like the kind of thing that a, a, a hip-hop track would do, would use in terms of a loop. Um, and then maybe just in the fact the vocals are a little bit anthemic, but not in like the same way a hip-hop track's vocals are anthemic. It's just the 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 backbeats, they feel like they would fit something a little bit more 
confrontational like a gangster rap song would. The, the, the chords don't match this at all. The yeah. chords are, again, a little bit more lighthearted. Until the... Th- I, I term it the third chorus, but it really does end up being a, a very different part. Uh, the, we, more of a piano breakdown, was that it? Yeah, we get the lines, do we really know the way the wind blows, wind blows? Yep, that's it. All we really safe around our shadows, shadows. It becomes a soft, drawn chorus kind of a setup. It's the way the falsetto. And it does work. It's that, the way the, that does work. It and does. That spoke to me. While so much else of the song really didn't seem like it meshed well. This did a great job of, of just cementing an idea that I don't think really came across in the rest of the song. Well, I like the way the falsetto is, is, is utilized here. During that, that segment, the falsetto just kind of like does this downward progression on each and every, do we really know the way the wind blows? You know, and, and, and then it kind of drags out that wind blows as like a separate vocalist who's really dragging that last part out. And then again, are we really safe around our shadows? And it's, 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 it was an interesting, probably the most experimental thing I'd heard so far. Not like edgy experimental, but just it, it had, it was, it was composing. Well, also, it kind of added that drama element we got early on in the album with these sections, which kind of built out the track even a little more. It felt it didn't feel soulless as previous tracks because it had that little bit of drama, that little bit of theatricality that kind of filled out the track. Yeah, but I still don't know how to take the two separate ideas that are going on here, the softer side and the harsher side. Just, I, I don't know how they're supposed to mesh together. Even content-wise... When you start talking off in the red, dance, dance with the dead, or the section lost are my arms, lost lost are my legs. I don't know how that meshes with the content lyrically. Musically, they're very different from one another, but that's not something we're unused to on this album itself. I just, there's, it seems to be searching and the soul is there in that course. I do see the soul. I just don't know where the rest of the content is supposed to align. I feel like it's leading us to the next track, that kind of lighter part of this track, because there that there's a connection piece. You mean that. the breakdown where sort of the synth just completely drops out, and all you're left with is, is uh, I think, the vocals, a couple of other elements. It just it felt like this this track had been gutted a little bit. But yeah. I don't. It really didn't. It, it really didn't lead anywhere right away for me. It was sort of a strange thing. I, I just as a general comment, I'm going to make about about his his breakdowns. I think that I like the fact that he at least has the has the inspiration to do them. Right. Because a lot of tracks would, you know, rest on their laurels and just sort of, you know, continue merrily along and return. Their verses and choruses and a bridge, perhaps, are, are enough. Right. He starts off these breakdowns with, like, the attempt that he's going to really go into something bold and fresh. And he actually did that successfully in the earlier tracks. As Again, the, the opening track on this album was extremely jarring, one of the most jarring movies moves that he's made so far. Uh, later on, though, I, I feel like some of them are just sort of slapped in there and he doesn't know how to really rework them back into something. Or it doesn't seem to be... The payoff really isn't that great. But but the initial jolt is is uh, is inspiring, but the, you don't get anywhere with it. It's just... You have to just focus on how the breakdown develops, how it evolves out of the existing material, but kind of ignore the stuff that it goes into or maybe it just recapitulates and then goes back to the beginning because that that's not the most inspiring part of this so let's go to track 10 holy roller 
So this is what I was alluding to earlier when I said that the lighter side of track nine might be relating to this, because this song from the get-go sounds very sweet and dreamy, almost ethereal. Well, it's more, I even get more setting here. I mean, again, I'm kind of tired of saying industrial, 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 even if that's an apt word for a lot of this, I don't even think so. But this here is more, it's more watery. You feel like like you're floating and uh, you even get this within like the separate guitar track that just starts like plucking and it sounds really super, super staccato. I mean, plucks are kind of staccato by nature, but here it's just like it, it, it plucks and then it rings amidst the, the sort of wet reverb that, it, that it's built from the start. I like it. There's a piece of imagery that's stuck in my mind for this, and that's a plucky time dreamscape. There's a lot going on I like here that too. <laughs> that's just like off the wall for what we've gotten on this album. The, the staccato nature of the guitar, the just tonal shifts. That's the big thing I think did a lot here. It's not just the repetitive same chords over and over again. There's shifts going on here that do promote a lot more movement in the music, in the melody, than what we've gotten in most of the previous tracks. Yeah, and plucky time dreamscape, to be honest, is, is as good of a, uh, a descriptor for where I am uh, than any, because I, I, I really didn't know where I was, and I, I liked that. Um, it's especially driven, I think, by the, the main guitar track, and that's this sort of warm guitar track, just kind of picking it around, um, and then also the vocals as well. It's, the melody is, once again, very, very beautiful. This is the my favorite part of his vocals. I like the way he just barely finishes phrase. He just kind of utters them, and it's done. They, they, it's almost, they almost fall apart here. Um, hold your head up high, everyone can see. Sh- short little bits of phrase work. Not afraid that I need your love, raining from my eyes, crashing at my knees. Not afraid that I need your love. And then finally, the chorus, holy roller, blow me over. Holy roller, blow me over. It's, it's, the, it's the phrase drop-off he does at the end of blow me over that really started impacting emotion. This is the first one that I'm, like, almost instantly, right from the get-go, just connected to on this album. Yeah. Um, when you take that, and it does... It goes through a couple of uh, shifts as it goes along, but towards the end, the the final lines, it's a cold, cold, brutal world. Ah, uh, <laughs> the, the, the screaming bit he has in there, but yep. it's not a harsh scream. It's it's more like he's he's stuck in a place. It feels more impactful. It's not angry in in so many other ways that we've gotten previously. Well, he says right here in this verse, wouldn't it be nice drifting out to sea, see, there's your water reference, with my swollen eyes, I need your love. Tell me where you hide. Tell you where I bleed. Maybe I'm too shy. I need your love. So he's very he's very open in this track. He's, he's, he's completely revealing where he's at, and I think the, the music basically matches that. I think my one little problem, and it was a shame to be nitpicky, because obviously we're at track 10 here, and, you know, we've had mixed feelings th- throughout the album, back and forth, little critiques, uh, little compliments, and I normally, as I say, I try, I, I'm more critical at the end. Here I'm inclined to at least be a little bit more lenient, because he does... I, I'm not sure so much thought was given into the exact order of the way this album develops because a lot of his ideas are very very scattered he uh, good good things will pop up in pretty much any place it doesn't seem like he you know puts all his cards in one part of an album like other artists will try to deliver that you know three block track of awesomeness instead there's not really clusters here it's always sparse so i was i tended to be really defensive of this track despite the fact that it was as late as track 10 it but back to that little problem I enjoyed the setting. I thought it was very chill. I just 
thought that in the process it was really long and those choruses tend to they come back again you know a little bit too much for me everything was just a little too relaxing and i didn't feel like it was really going anywhere i think that i'd have to be exceedingly high in order to be completely (laughs) relaxed and in the zone for this track i just feel like because otherwise i'm gonna nitpick that's the thing (laughs) I feel like touching on what you're saying and expanding a bit. I I was fairly nitpicky with this track. I, I won't deny that it was sweet and beautiful and, and it had some really great moments. But we're at track 10 of a 14-track album. You, you started to lose me at this point. And while I will admit that instrumentally and talent-wise there was some stuff here... I was still just kind of finding myself feeling a little dulled by the track by the end. Well, I was anticipating that response, which yeah. is why I said I was trying to ignore the 10 out of 14 track album. It's The song has gravity to it. It, it did pull me in, but I'm, I'm just stuck in an orbit around it. I'm not really crashing in fully to this track. It still hasn't just immersed me in the album where I'm going to just dive right in and i think that's because it's just taken so long i'm I'm on i agree with you in both ways i just don't feel like i'm still feeling enough here there were moments in the album where i did but in this track while it was sweet i was just kind of like it felt empty like george carlin always made fun of the word nice and how empty it is like i this song was it was nice like i felt it was okay but i didn't really get a lot of substance in my opinion that was due mostly to the repetition here yeah i would agree absolutely all right, let's go to track 11 then, Woman, Woman. Which repeats in the title itself. Um, so this song I felt like was more engaging for me, not because it was better per se, but because at least it made me feel something. It elicited a response. It had a very dancey groove. It was fairly engaging. You know, as far as a dance song goes, it was fairly straightforward, but it made me want to dance, so that was something. Like, I it gave me that feeling at least it had a sort of funky bass beat thing going it certainly was more of a danceable track uh his vocals are once again on the screaming side of things but uh, they're not they're not grating he's he's got some passion to it he's singing more in the vein of like a i don't want to say bruce springsteen necessarily but sort of in that you know okay it's not really it's it's power yes it's power through through the imperfection um i enjoyed that but i guess what what you're really hung up on this in this track, and that's the good thing, is the hook. The hook, of course, you may be you may be a natural woman, you may be a natural woman, and it, it's it's got a little bit of that hip hop thing going for mm-hmm. it, like in a hip hop dance track. But um, yeah, I don't know if I was. It was 100% superficial in. and superfluous at best, but I still, again, it elicited a response from me, so that was enough at this point. The beginning beat was a nice double beat with a, a nice sweet pause, allowing for flourishes. But after that first chorus, the almost, I, I'm not even going to say hip-hop, more R&B. Yeah, it's just yeah, grooving along. But it became just a repetitive one-two, back-forth beat that just doesn't do anything for me after a while. It's too much of just the same over and over and over again because it becomes a time signature. It's It becomes a little bit too forefront in my mind to hear anything but the boom. But in the song, that I can't get away from it. I'm I'm almost counting at this point. I also realized something else strange. He uses a, like a almost like a computer's error tone to usher in the chorus. Like just this little break where you hear this strange sound effect that sounds like your your computer just made a sound from from internally from inside the box, which you should always worry you. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, finally it, it goes to the chorus, and it does that. I think I think on on each case of the chorus. So. 
I don't know, I thought that was strange, because he has kind of a, a I'm not going to say predictable, but a, a, a finite palette of instruments that he uses up to this point. Um, and he doesn't normally go off the wall with crazy sound effects. He has his crazy breakdowns, but not crazy sound effects. And there is a crazy breakdown in this song, which really does have a tonal shift, an instrumentation shift, but once again, it goes right back into the chorus. It was 10 seconds if it was a if it was one. I'm going to be honest, it's, though, it's, of, of all the breakdowns, I'm going to interrupt because I think this breakdown, even as much as I've kind of raved about some of his breakdowns, despite not feeling as, as happy about where they go, this particular break, breakdown, even even the initial portion of it, really didn't grab me in, in any stretch. This whole just like one, two, three, and four, and one, two, three, and four. And I, I, this seemed to be like the whole entire thing using this like semi-industrialized uh, sound. And I just, I wasn't digging it. I wasn't digging it. I didn't feel like it was really going. It wasn't engaging rhythmically. And then it did do the same thing that I cited earlier. It just goes back to the chorus. But I mean, and I hear you on that, but I think I'm coming from perspective on this song where you guys were on the last song. Like, it made me feel something. It engaged me. So I kind of just went with it and ignored the nitpicks, even though it was towards the end of the okay. album. So but, reversed. But, then here's my question. What did it, how did it engage you? Like, what it made me want to dance. It actually did what it was supposed to as a dance song. It made me want to dance. That was enough. Yeah, because it made it made me want to move. Nothing else has physically moved me or emotionally up until this point really that much. You, but but here's my, my, my issue. The content of the song doesn't really match up with that there. Didn't care. I don't need the lyrics to dance. So for me, that didn't matter as much. But I, that, then they're getting across a different message than what they're actually singing about. I may be worthless sure. without you. I'll never decide to replace you. Amen, the worst is behind us. Woman, woman, ooh. I may be worthless without you. I'll never decide to replace you. Amen, the worst is behind us now. Woman, woman, woman. What, what? That's a dance song? I like, don't get that. But see, again, most good dance songs, lyrics are superfluous or irrelevant. Most dance songs, it's about the beat, the rhythm, and what makes you move. And yeah, so but, but, I hear your complaint about the lyrics. I just didn't care. But Stronger, Better, Faster, Harder is talking about movement and being there. This has a sure. different co- uh, connection. Yes, but Daft Punk's so, lyrics are often superfluous at best, except for maybe one more time. Okay, Dance Dance. I mean, there's songs that are sure. dance songs, and this is my argument. It's a dance song that's, in the musical aspect, making you dance. It's moving you. That's great. But in the lyrical aspect, it's doing the antithesis of that. It's trying to make you feel depressed. If it ain't funk, I'm not dancing. That's, I abstain. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I abstain from the you. discussion. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, and I understand that. Uh, I think that's just your vision of it versus mine. It has little to do with what works for the song because ultimately if it makes someone dance then it's at least doing its job sort of all right well if you're going to talk about tracks doing their job um track 12 lie love live love strange title but just picturing that title you feel like you're going to get something extremely satisfying something that feels very relaxed and i think this did do its job it starts off with the this sort of like electric guitar with uh, an acoustic played as if it was more acoustic style and then over that this more romantic croony uh you know vocals these this croony intro i've been waiting here for hours yeah i really love yeah i really love you so this has turned into disaster lately we're the only ones who know lie love live love lie love thy neighbor and it's a very strange this this chorus here 
the, the the rhythmic breakdown of it almost feels like it has a reggae sway to it. It feels traditional, but also warm. If if not, perhaps like in, in the instrumentation that it's reggae. It's certainly in the sway here. This 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 breakdown of lie, love, live, love, lie, love thy neighbor, and that little triplet there on the mm-hmm. love, lie, love thy neighbor. I I, I I love that as far, this is something that I could have swayed to, maybe not danced to, but at least swayed to, and I think it was at least hitting me on that note. Yeah. That was impressive. It was hypnotic. No, wait, wait, wait. Let's it was just very hypnotic. Out. That tongue twister, Steve pulled it off, that was impressive. Yeah, listeners don't know how many takes. <laughs> well, because of the magic of editing. <laughs> um, I feel like though with this song, like oh, it was one take. M- more or less, it has a structure of a pop song. Like it, it does have that kind of reggae kind of feel to it. I definitely got a sense of that, that relaxing feel. Vocally and kind of structurally, though, it did remind me of like Old Maroon Five or those other like pop rock or pop bands. It seemed like there was a lot of nonsensical ideas over this rhythm that were just trying to draw out an, uh, a sort of an emotional response for you. But these are the sort of things that can drive a man to drink. I mean, they were just throwing a bunch of different ideas, but none of them were quite meshing for me. I mean, the 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 sort of surrealist segment that follows. Yeah, yeah the, the interlude. That, that's that was just, one of them. Oh, the guitar, yeah. first of all, it's like it rises upwards into this strange solo, but it's really less of the solo. It's more of just this wonky rhythm that... that I'm not sure if it was really... I, th- I think it kept changing up the time signature, or otherwise it was just really all over the board in terms of a, in terms of this four four time signature. So I wasn't able to really pin it down. I just was I, I was trying to be engaged, and I, I don't think I successfully was. And I listened to no. this several times, and it wasn't finding its way to, like, adhere to me. And I like intriguing rhythms. This just... It seemed arbitrary, and I do hate saying that. And when, it's not the only arbitrary moment in this song. I mean, it also felt like after that moment, when the song starts to wind down and then ends, but then it comes back again for an outro, that feels almost completely disconnected from the rest of the song and made that outro almost seem completely pointless in the structure. And I love the way the song ends from a cheeky point of view. The lines allow me to explain. <laughs> I kind of that's another one of his little tags his little stingers on the end of a song that in, in this case I really enjoyed the concept of it the cheekiness sure. of that line itself yeah and I can see that it's just they didn't need that extra 10 to 15 seconds at the end of I think it was more than, I think it was more like 30 whatever it was it just it, it felt out of place it's like they took a chunk of a melody that they thought of and made it the outro even though it had nothing to do with the song and that was kind of odd to me from there we go to track 13 like people comma like plastic now this song the first half is probably one of my favorite songs on the record and it came so late but i enjoyed it it starts purely with a vocalized acapella sound of laws and la laws. Okay, so you're you're proven you're you're accepting of the latter stretch of a record. Sure. Can't. Um, and then from there, um, a groove does build on it of electronic with the acapella nature of it the almost, deliverance. It almost felt like an like a rigatone beat. This very just like one, two, and three, four, one, two, and three, four. I know that's not quite it. The rigatone yeah. is a little bit a little bit more more belated in the first half of the beat there. But but it's it's I don't know it's. 
it's got a little bit of attitude in it. And yeah, even, it had a strut. It, it even had like these little saxophone uh, doses. Let's just thrown in there, like just to, to close out the phrase and, and, and restart it again. Um, very subtle, but it, it, it's kind of filled it out nicely. Again, use of sound bites or uh, texture. From and and we're getting some of the best lyrical content, maybe the maybe the best lyrical content on the album. A riot suggesting alone, I'm protesting. There's no one here standing, no loopholes, no branding. There's no one here standing, no loopholes, no branding. I stand alone and curse the sky. I stand alone beside you. I've never felt so alone in my life, baby. I stand alone beside you. All right, there's a lot more content here that I've seen in several of the other songs. It's also. It's still got that tongue twister element from the previous track that I did enjoy, but here it's uh, it's significantly more inventive. I like where he's going here. Don't look here too graphic, like people like plastic. Don't look here too graphic, like people like plastic. So dance in the madness, oh lord, did you plan this? So dance in the madness, oh lord, did you plan this? He's putting emotion and content into the, the vocal lyrical work that I'm really enjoying. It takes an odd shift, though, as we approach the course, because it gets from that reggaeton-ish beat. It moves to a more ethereal chorus sound. We've seen this plenty of times on the record already. It feels a lot lighter than what the verse was setting up. But it, for me, it worked very, very well. I liked the uplifting nature in this course because it seemed perfectly at odds with what the chorus was doing. Instead of being disconnected like a sad song set to a dancing beat... Here it felt it felt higher, but it felt a little bit hollow at the same time. And the chorus is promoting a hollow idea, standing alone. So putting these two things together really did it for me. Really, really drove the point home for me. And I mean, they didn't feel completely divorced. I mean, the transition between the verse and the chorus is kind of a stop and then a start. Which, I mean, as far as transition goes, isn't gra- groundbreaking. But it didn't feel completely divorced because they did have some connecting factors otherwise. Even as it ends this first segment, it kind of like started reminding me a little bit of Ratatat in the uh, yeah. in the way they utilize the synthesizer. Um you know, despite being steady, it's still very groovable. That kind of is what defines Ratatat. And um, there was good builds on the verses, and that was one thing that really drew me. It didn't just keep doing the same thing that was a complaint in a lot of these other tracks. Yeah. It felt like the verses actually got flushed as you're going along, as opposed to just another layer on top of it. I'd say the chorus in itself kind of served to fill the role of a ballad as well. Yeah. But th- this is another one of those tracks that takes a strange turn, and this is probably the strangest one of them all. At three minutes and 18 seconds, we have a huge what-the-hell moment going on. It just it takes such a hard shift. It was almost mind-boggling. This is right following that moment that I kind of described as a little bit rat-a-tat-ish, and then all of a sudden the synths take a huge turn. It, it's this, this slow dirge, even deeper and scarier than anything I had described earlier on the record. It's yeah. just this... It almost felt characterless. This is yeah. my problem with it. And I, I'm almost inclined maybe to accept that, though, positively from like an artistic angle, just because of how incredibly characterless it was, I was almost a little bit fascinated by it. Sure, but I just like, felt like it, it was completely divorced from what came before. Did, oh, I it was divorced, but that's, that's, that's my point here, is yeah. that he's doing something that he's kind of done earlier, but this time to the greatest extent, the idea that the breakdowns, um, they seem at first to evolve. Well, this time it doesn't really evolve. It just drops like a heavy hammer, sure. and and it it 
doesn't return us. There's no, no recapitulation we here. We don't go this, back to the previous part. When he changes, he changes, and it's done, and the, the track ends on that horribly dour note. Well, it's not the same exact thing. It does have a little bit of a shift. It goes from sort of like a deep chord idea into yeah. that one-two beat that I was complaining about earlier, the simple yeah. back-and-forth sway. And then over that, he sings, or rather screams, F*** your ghost. F*** your ghost. Your ghost, your ghost. Or burn the bloody house down. Or so long, Flash, so long. So long, Flash, so long. Yeah, I was reading the very end, but... It just feels so disconnected, and it's not even leading us into the next track. I mean, we're going to get to track 14 in a minute, but this isn't even a connecting piece. It feels quite manic, though. Yeah, I mean, it it feels absolutely nuts. Well, to go from (laughs) something that really was really, really nice, but kind of pleading... Uh, don't be this plastic person kind right. of an idea into that three second pause into I don't know deep realization down in the core of your being as the ugly beast rears his head and goes you're a plastic person I hate you well, blah, even, blah. Even I don't know lyrics, what to look at it even looking at lyrics earlier on this track I mean this just seems like such a strange format, a strange music style for the lyrics. I stand alone and curse at the sky. I stand alone beside you. I've never felt so alone in my life. Baby, I stand alone beside you. It's so heart-wrenching. It, it just it begs for something a little a little further than this. Yeah. I, um, I, I don't know. I just I really don't know what to make a lot of this, but there's there's something in here that's like dying to just come out in a big way. I don't, I don't know whether it's, it's quite being achieved. It's a, it's a shame. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it's something that's kind of below the surface that we're not quite getting to the surface. He even kind of foreshadows it right after those lines, uh, like plastic. You don't don't look here too graphic like people like plastic. So dance in the madness. Oh, Lord, did you plan this? So dance in the madness. And finally it goes mad. Yeah. It's There's a man behind the curtain, and that man is... Uh, Aaron Bruno. Aaron Bruno. And Aaron, right. Aaron Bruno is laying a lot on the line here. Let's talk about the final track, track 14, Drinking Lightning. So this was, I guess, well, now I'm kind of going back on what I said. This is, I said surprisingly haunting, but actually it's unsurprisingly haunting. Considering what the WTF moment we just had, this does seem a little more connected. But yeah, the song starts out with tones that and drones that kind of move along slowly. It kind of gives a haunting, but... Well, easing is, nature. Th- easing it, yeah, in its own way, yeah. because because of the the two different things going on here. First of all, those synth sounds sound like something that we heard out of Boards of Canada. Yeah. You or, know, going back to episode fifty four, Tomorrow's Harvest. I would even say it's a muffled version of the Inception wah noise. A little bit that too, but I would say more eightiesified, like a John Carpenter thing. Okay, yeah, thing he would use sure. Um, and now, as for the melody, this is the other element. The melody tends to be pretty repetitive, sure, but it's it's yeah. incredibly gorgeous. It's again on the side of his vocals that I absolutely adore. But this time, perhaps even the best of the batch here at the last track. Th- these vocals reminded me of the vocals of Alan Sparhawk of Low, who is one of my favorite, most easing uh, vocalists of all of. Of, that I've ever heard personally. I think he achieves like a level of tenderness like unmatched, and that is what uh, this vocalist is achieving here. Um, I I can't say why he saved that for the last track, although it's a pretty good way to close out. Let's talk about the chorus though, because the chorus. This was a highlight of this. Uh, this, this was track. certainly a highlight. This is where some real composition entered here, because obviously I'm just talking about a lot of like separate little pieces. He has his sound bites, he has his um his loops, and they do their thing. They serve their role, but in in the chorus. 
composition enters in here with the the male vocals sort of reacting to his melody and against the melody in this sort of hemiola. That was pretty neat. And then with that, you get other little like weaker synth elements in the verse that follows. This is the point where they reminded me, musically speaking, of uh, probably one of my favorite albums by TV on the radio, uh, Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes, going back to 2004, which is an album I almost never reference because I can't find anything to compare it to. Certainly their later <laughs> work never compared to it. Um, but it's that particular approach to the industrial sound to make it something so unique and so so dirgy, but I will admit there's a lighthearted element here. There's an element of peace in this track. There's also an interesting concept behind the lyrics, because I don't know if they're good or bad, but they do come off as beat poetry. In the valley where my heart sinks, there will be no strings. I'm worth nothing when the sad wind from the night's end help me pretend that I'm your sin. In the dark space, the touch of your soft face in front of a fireplace, would you believe me if the phone rings, tell him nothing, or maybe one thing, that hell is coming? There's there's enough imagery there to leave me puzzling, where I don't know if it's good, bad, or somewhere in between, but I like being able to look at this, to read these lyrics, and to really hear them over what the music is doing, and to hear his tempo delivering it all said and done, it makes me very interested it's also in an track. area it's also an area where I, I think like I said the the melody the, the rep- repetitive qualities of the melody really works to an advantage it makes it sound more hypnotic it makes it sound you you're, you're immersed in it as as you know these these giant blocks of text but really they're it, it's it's very repetitive in the way he approaches it still it's very delicate and very tender again the melodies that you'd find in in low you know Alan Sparhawk, Mimi Parker, they weren't terribly complex. They were slow, they were drawn out, and they were concise. But it, it, it let you really just be put into a trance. Um, I want to look at this, the next verse here, because it's probably going to start wrapping up this, this album. And let's just see the final words that he leaves us on. When I feel numb from your answer, I, I'll take a gander. Appreciate your candor. If the glove fits above the toolbox, you'll hear a pin drop. It's the sound of my thoughts. Now the pain cries, down a cheek it dries. Oh, the pink sky, and back little white lies. When my eyes sting, where my heart sinks, there will be no strings, we're drinking lightning. That's incredibly good writing. It's very um, poetic. And again, it is the... aided by the fact of these little short snippets of line that are matched up with well, very the very simple... How was that on the rest of the record, though? But yeah, then we, we okay. had foreshadowing. Well, that's true. I, we had yeah. foreshadowing from the beginning, so this is why I was trying to, like, you know, just throw ideas around earlier on. It's fair enough. I and mean, I no even deal. noted from the beginning that there's, I think, an idea here that he was almost trying to, like, run away from his problems. The track, the album is called Run. You can't ignore album titles. And uh, the first track, it sort of started to go down that idea. And then, of course, the most important connecting element here is the way this track ends, which is very similar to the way the first track ended. And that is with the voicemail. It seems like the same exact guy. Uh, Hey, it's Ryan. (laughs) And this time he's talking more about his birthday. Mm -hmm. And then he's got a bunch of people coming from a party. He wants him to come. It's like in the beginning, it was more him just reaching out the first time just for, for the sake of it trying to like yeah, all right let's reconnect let's rekindle and then at the very end here it's like all right this is something a little more concrete rather than the the very ethereal, ethereal like yeah out. we should sometime we'll get around to it in five years no this is a birthday party you're coming please i would like you to be there and um and maybe nice... there's an implication he will actually turn around and and stop running away from his 
from his issues. That's I a, don't know. That's a great little indication that uh, there is a concept behind this album. Because there's a lot of factors going on right here that confuse me and make me really want to delve into what's going on. I could be totally off here. I mean, and then, of course, there's the other very vague lines he really ends the track on uh, with this, you know, because he wasted your time in a year, you'll be mine. No, you don't fare well. No, you don't fare well without me. No, you don't fare well without me. And then, of course, the we're drinking lightning. We're drinking your... We're drinking your lightning. I don't I don't know exactly how to take that. Well, drinking your lightning, I assume it's like lightning in a bottle. If someone has lightning in a bottle or a lot of luck, drinking their lightning is stealing their luck, that kind of a thing, maybe. That's an interesting... I don't know. I would say that's as far off as my Midas Touch reference. Fair, but fair who knows? enough. Who knows? I mean, my thing about this album is that this is very ballsy to get so intricate and focused with the final track. When the rest of the album kind of left... A lot to be desired. I feel like you're just leaving a lot of holes. Well, it's not ballsy. Well, it is ballsy. The last track is not ballsy to have. This probably should have been more of the standard. It was yeah. ballsy to left the fir- the to leave the first few tracks as open as they were, as open to interpretation, as, and as lighthearted at times, and as uh, disparate, dipping into various different genres. And it was hard to really pin down a sound here. Uh, that was one little problem I had, I think, throughout, is I didn't really, I didn't really know what AWOL, the AWOL Nation sound was. It did seem like that, that semi-industrialized sound was the, uh, was the general go-to thing. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't the most engaging, engaging, uh, element of this album by any stretch. It was just sort of a, uh, it was a thread that tied it together. Loosely, at best. All right, who's going first? Well, John can't. He brought the album. I can, but I choose not to. There's a difference. Well, we fall back right, on I'll, that. I'll volunteer. All right. Um, this is... I, I enjoyed, again, pieces of this album. I know I say that a lot about albums. I tend to be very nitpicky, even about the albums that I love. I tend to say, all right, this is, this is like, my favorite thing. I'm not going to go so far as to say I had many favorite moments, like, just... In, in the compendium of music on this album that really leapt out to me, but but I would say that it had subtle uh, areas where it just seemed to skirt that a little bit. You know, where, where it introduced something that I'm very close to, like, for instance, that, you know, Alan Sparhawk vocals, it's something that's very close to me. The TV on the radio thing, that's very close to me. Obviously, this is all uh, kind of combined into the last track here. But the other elements, too, the little hints at piano ballads that are very, I, I, I feel, I would feel silly to just be overly critical with these songs, right. because otherwise, they're they're pretty concise. They, they say their piece, and they are gone pretty early. It's the tracks where he kind of drags it out and hammers it home for the longest time. And he does that in, in also some of the ballads, but also some of the industrial tracks. And I'm more critical there. At the end of the day, I, I just don't think this theme is quite tight enough for me to really uh, hoist it up terribly high. Um, it didn't leave me with this, like, well-rounded sensation. I don't know what to go off into the world thinking with this album. I'm not left with a question mark. I'm left more with more just question marks, I think, for his sake than for my sake. And and uh, I would like more empathy than that. I think he keeps me at arm's length um, for most of these tracks. Um, I'm going to say, though, that at the end of the day, because of the things he does nice, I think this is in average territory. Uh, I, I just wish it had that, that connecting factor. There were no tracks here that I really hated. Even the tracks that, that took really strange turns, I was curious on. I think this album... Is a solid three, just a three down the line, as as center as center gets. 
For us, <laughs> probably. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. I mean, Steve kind of summed it up for me, too. We were surprisingly very much on the same page for a lot of this record. I think that Steve kind of hit the nail on the head before we started recording. He's like, was this something you would have liked, like, two decades ago? And that's a fairly accurate statement. When I was in junior high school or high school, it, it does feel like it's in line with your Lincoln Parks and your your corn as far as being a little scatterbrained style-wise, being a little all over the place, kind of not obvious themes. Although Lincoln Park, you know, we know how passionate they are, so their themes were obvious, obviously. Well, just to bring up a little interjection here, remember what we were talking about in the Ratatat episode, episode 159, regarding how you would, in the end, probably prefer classics uh, to the 2006 album yeah. to the album that we reviewed, Magnifique, only because you'd been familiar with it for so long, and right. they have a tendency to kind of stick with you. And I believe this has the catchy melodies that probably could grow on you yeah. down the line. Get, like, let's just say this album had come out around two decades ago. You would have liked it then, perhaps, and then you probably would have looked on, look back on it very fondly today. Sure. Um, just getting it now is a bit of a snag. Well, because it, it does feel kind of dated on a whole. Yeah. It doesn't feel fresh, doesn't feel new. We've penalized albums for that. Now, I will admit that he does, he shows signs of great skill in his poetry and in his instrumentation in moments. But I'm inclined to be a little harsher on it than calling it average only because there are moments here that seem so disjointed I can't even put it at average but then again if you think those disjointed moments are intentional that does show a sign of skill so I'm conflicted um, I think the, the the fact that the thing that Steve said that nailed it for me is that he keeps you at arm's length the whole record I can't connect to him he won't let me except in very specific moments and for me that hurts the record more than I think anything else that he keeps himself at a distance so for me I'm going to bring it down a little bit and I'm going to not not sink it, but it's a 2.8 for me. I feel like it's just below average because he's holding you at a distance and not letting you in, and that really hurt it for me. There is a groups of authors and musicians that just do work that is going to be hard to get on the first or fifth or tenth read or listen through or something like that. I feel like this might be one of those albums. Could be. Maybe not as deep as James Joyce, <laughs> who I love to talk about because his books are nightmares. But I feel like if I sat with this by December, I might find something that's amazing. A story in the background that's just really does a great theme work because there's there's so much going on that you just don't really feel like lines up with your initial perception. Yeah, vagaries aren't the end of the world. It might just be that you're too dumb enough to know it. Or you just don't <laughs> see it yet. There has to be that kismet yeah. moment or a kaleidoscope where the colors just align and everything is clear at that point. Certainly in 163 episodes, we've had moments of great insight and moments where we're just completely off and we, you know, can't wrap our head around the lyrics. And this feels like, this. Was, I think I'm going to actually sit with this album a lot more over the coming months and just see it for our end of year in review if I find something that really pushes... It, to that next level but you guys were fairly accurate it's it's technically got some some stuff it's strutting out there some some little tidbits especially like steve said uh numerous occasions the breakdowns that were like had had glimpses of really interesting and brilliant ideas but they never really seemed to come to fruition and it's it seems the creativity aspect like the full form of the songs 
lacked a little on on the artistic side on on that aspect so it was solid and done very very well the mixing was great that's one thing i don't think we really talked about and a lot of the choices of instrumentation were great for the forms you were using but keeping the art cohesive keeping the 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 actual flow of the songs and keeping the the flows of the bridges and choruses together hurt it in the long haul but that said i did enjoy i guess on a superficial level but i did enjoy this album a lot more than i know matt did <laughs> because it feels like i could just listen to this in a lot of ways as long as i'm not paying attention a lot of the issues <laughs> But I mean, when I get nitpicky, as long as I ignore it completely, I can listen. <laughs> it's it's the nitpicks that really sh make it show up as as having the flaws that we just talked about, or I just talked about, and talked about at length in some cases. But when you start talking about it, just listening to it and going along with it, it does a good job that way. It's it's great driving music. I'll attest to that. So for that, I'm gonna put it a little bit above average. I'm giving it. A 3.25 okay just over average because it there's there's a there's a quality there that i just don't think is average overall i also defend this for being in three range as opposed to two range only because it's it's a diverse album it has diversity just from the 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 range of music styles he approaches and i'm not sure that that's as impactful toward the identity i think i was being a little harsh in terms of say, saying that his he was having identity problems i think it's still i still hear an a wall nation sound and to be honest I, I know some of my like 2.9s, 2.8 ratings, uh, like you know One Republic and other various albums that had they were mostly for sameness, sameness in terms of just the musical approach. I feel I could mostly expect the same thing from one one track to the next, despite whatever intriguing themes it has. I feel this has some intriguing themes, um, but at least he approaches it from a variety of fashions. So uh, I think it balances out for me too. I'll stick with my three. Fair enough. And we're all where we where we should be. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I think that. And we spoke about this a little bit when talking about this record. It's just I wonder, does the fact that there was a lot of vagary and that it did come off as kind of a question mark, does that hurt the record? Does it help the record? I mean, I think I'm more curious, like... How it affects the concept. How it affects the concept. Yeah. I mean, and we've talked about, like, for example, the opposite of a vague album concept would be Shea for the Dark Lord, Sick Passenger, which we've talked about, where the concept is very clear. He's hallucinating. He's in a therapist's office, although for most of the record, you think he is actually at his therapist's office. And it's a very strict through line that the end of one sketch and the beginning of another will connect the two interim tracks. Well, this also kind of opens the door as to as to our failings, perhaps, as critics, because the whole idea is that, well, if you have vagueness, but if it's only so vague that the listener merely has to use their mind just for, you know, a few extra seconds at a time before they finally click, and then the payoff is such that it's so great, all of a sudden you end up thinking it's brilliant. A lot of times, that's the, that's the turn of it, and this is... I think that's the idea behind a lot of, you know, this is the common high school poetry problem. Sure. You know, where they, 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 from what they read, if they read something they don't understand, but they're at least allured by the language of it, then they tend to think that that is a positive thing. So they write something that may be extremely vague to another reader, but then they end up just not quite crossing that uncanny valley. It remains vague, and then the, the, the listener, the reader, they, they can't interpret it, and then it just falls flat. But that's, that just shows how much is reliant upon 
the interpreter. It's the mystique element that you get in a lot of like old noir films and things of that sort. In in a lot of similar ways, you you have shots of these videos and these movies where all you see is a shadow mm-hmm. holding a knife or something like that, holding a gun, or famously Psycho. I mean, so much of the gore of Psycho is implied, but with a visual medium, you can imply it very readily. Yeah, it because feel it's shot vague by in those shot. moments. Yeah, you still see things. Yeah, but the key is it's still the vague outline or the out the the out of frame reference. With music, it's hard to have that out of frame idea implemented in the music itself. But there's a crossover there because one thing they they do have in common, at least from uh, movies into music, uh, not necessarily to the poetry itself, is that movies can imply it because they have the advantage of having setting. Yeah. Setting is is the great implication because if you know where you are, you know when you should feel a little bit scared. You know when you're in an alleyway, that's that's you, sh- you should be unnerved. Nothing good can happen in an alley. Um, but yet, if you're in in uh, a piece of music, I, I think music is just a little bit vaguer in that it can kind of try to paint the setting. As we've talked about numerous times, you can feel a little tense just because of the chords themselves. Um, it's not quite as on the nose as with as with movies, but uh, if you were to just take the poetry itself, then you lack that altogether. You don't have the music working toward you, you don't have the visuals working toward you. All you have is the language itself, and that can be extremely vague, because all you have now is one person's psyche. You have access to their stream of consciousness, which can open any doors of, holy crap, what the hell are you thinking? I don't think like this. Well, one of our favorite things to talk about, especially Steve, is moments. And having a weird tonal shift where you're playing a B-flat that shouldn't be there or (laughs) can really add a lot to the idea of being vague, the idea of being coy and mysterious and having mystique and moving around the chords in such a way, throwing in little non chord tones, things that don't belong there. There's so many musical minor when major is expected and things like that. So many musical tools at your disposal. Um, But the lyrics are what truly intrigued me. And that's something I I guess I, I talk about a little bit too much in some cases. But it's always nice to have double entendres, triple entendres, something that really just you know, pushes away, or to use uh, unusual tongue twister and rhyming schemes. I think it's because at the end of the day, what we really seek, um, as much as we might love description, I think what any reader usually seeks is brevity. It doesn't have to be, you know, so brief that you, you know, you can say the worth of a novel in a haiku. I don't think we expect that necessarily, but people don't like having their time toyed with. They don't like being just, you know, batted around while you meander through uh, reference and metaphor after metaphor. A double entendre, like John was saying, has the power to cram two different ideas into one utterance. And that's a brilliant thing to most of us, because then we just... It took us such a fraction of the time to all of a sudden have a grand realization, which someone might otherwise have to explain ad nauseum. I think also the way uh, being vague can be a powerful tool is, depending on the conveyance of the vague uh, lyrics, you can create a relatability. With brevity, vagueness, you kind of open the door for, for relatability, because if you're just skirting the topic of heartbreak and just discussing it in a very broad, vague way, you 
give that option for someone to go, oh, well, I felt that way because of course you felt that way. Yeah. It's you, he's pretty much saying, my heart was broken. Well, of course your heart was broken. That happens to lots of people. Right. So, so it's th- easier through, to kind of bring you in. Through va- vagueness, they kind of achieve a, a wider audience. Sure. Like, like writing a familiar when melody. Hy- when you're hyper-specific and talking about something, you could alienate a lot of people because if they haven't gone through that specific, like if you talk about the death of your father and the listener's father has not died, well, they're not going to connect on the same emotional level unless you're delivering a hyper-specific personal story because then they'll feel for you, but they won't right. relate because they haven't experienced That's it. That's where you, they would have to employ other other tools uh, in order to make it work, in order to make you empathize in situations where it's completely foreign. Like, for instance, Singles uh, by Future Islands back in episode yeah, sure. 104, a theme that we you know completely adored as of the time i don't think it's something that all of us have necessarily gone through um it was a very very specific thing that that particular guy was worried was was going through a, a, experiencing this this relationship which at the end we may or may or may not i wonder whether it really existed right you know um it could have just been his own his own machinations or the idea that it was something that was so removed for for years on end that it's it's he was treating as if it happened yesterday and then you're working with the mind of 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 delusion uh that's not something that everyone has experienced with the right person might empathize but otherwise that's uh that's that's a very it's a very hyper specific notion that I think maybe he approached in terms of vagaries because after after all we did take a long time to arrive at that conclusion and we were yeah. throwing option out, at an option out the window and and um, it was a very intensive discussion as I recall but uh, whether he succeeded or not through the use of the poetry alone you know is as is, is anyone's guess you had to at least admire the guy for for trying and making us think of that much. But that was something that was accomplished on the album level. It's rare that I really come across a single song or single phrase that really just is that gripping. And going back to haikus, I mean, haikus were famous and are famous for being exactly that. Brevity plus vagary equaling beauty. And one of my favorites, which I did actually have favorited on my uh, tablet here, was, this is the translation, from time to time, the clouds give rest to the moon beholders. That's the translation version. That's an extremely simple idea. Has no concreteness to it. It's not giving you a person, place, thing, other than clouds are moving away from the moon so people can see it. But the phrasing, the pacing, that what uh, a simple haiku, a masterfully written haiku, is such a rarity that... It's so beautiful to latch onto it, whether it's in any media, poetry, music, film. There's always going to be those instances that you can just grab on and just be like, this is a moment that I can just love. But that's also where context steps in pretty strongly, because Taken Alone, I think actually that was almost hyper-specific. Yes, it had it had uh, fluffy phrasing, you know, and, and very colorful language, but... It it was fairly hyper specific within the with context to music though that wouldn't work as much because if you had any stray uh, chord in music that didn't really match up with that then all of a sudden then you'd call it a vagary um, and you wouldn't know what the hell the metaphor was I'm not sure I see a metaphor in that necessarily it's just an imagery piece well yeah I mean but also some haikus can be very um, hyper specific and still work um, and bringing it back to music there's a musician actually who does 
frequent haikus on his Facebook page, and that's MC Lars. When he was on tour last year, through his whole tour, he would do haikus about locations he was in, places he went, like a, a New York haiku, a Statue of Liberty haiku, a Warped Tour haiku. And it was interesting because he was taking something that um, language-wise can still be pretty vague, but applying it to a specific situation to create still a relatability. And so the videos would get lots of views because they're short, they're succinct, and they're in locations that people would identify. True. Well, I'm, I'm not diminishing the haiku. I think haiku is a great exercise, but it just goes to show that haiku, there are all different types of haikus. Sure. There are some haikus that really do aim only to provide a piece of imagery and, and make you at least visualize the setting that was seen at the time he wrote it. Uh, otherwise, you would get the, the double, triple entendres that all of a sudden are these great philosophical pieces crammed into so many syllables. Uh, that's a big challenge, but it's certainly a good exercise for any writer if, if you want to employ that at any point in the future um, into a greater piece. I think that ultimately, I feel like vagueness itself, we can't define whether it's good or bad. I think it... Well, no, I think seriously, I'm really trying uh, not know. to laugh right now. That is, that is the pun beautiful. was unintentional, but I'll take it. Yes. That's a great pun too. Um, Listeners, behold, as we have a vague conversation about vagaries. Um, but in all sincerity, I feel like you can't you can't really say whether it's good or bad because it's a case by case basis. I think it's how it's masterfully employed, like we were talking about the haiku and how you can use it very uniquely. I feel like vagueness on a record also is the same thing. It's that fine line between creating re relatability but not keeping your your listener at a distance. Like with the album we reviewed today, my big problem with how vague it was was that I felt like it was keeping me away from it. It was keeping me at a distance. But let's look at the reason why a lot of artists, I think, use that. Because I, I think it takes a little it takes a little bit of balls to go about that. Because I think a lot of a lot of artists fear. Uh, something that is so grounded in reality you know that they would be accused of of not being artists and simply right. being you know writing their memoir right if you're writing your memoir then there's there's very little art there you can try to use proper language but otherwise you're simply telling a story that happened and where is that line that says ah this turned into art it made me feel something on a deeper more more metaphysical level and a, a lot of if you just essentially um, describe, write your memoir in, in music, I don't think a lot of people are going to take that very kindly. Sure. Some, some people do it. Some some artists, I'm sure, do that. And, not, so, and they don't really even really need to try because their life is just so interesting. You know, but uh, usually it takes more of us to, it, it takes more for us to suspend disbelief and say, this is another, almost another universe and we're merely spectators in, in their environment. Well, I mean, vagueness to the extreme other end is an artist who kind of has been masterful at creating f fiction and also making it incredibly vague just to make songs heavy and forthright. Um, Rob Zombie's earlier records, he would tell stories about the undead and all of this stuff, but it wouldn't be even specific narratives. It'd be very much heavy metal with a catchy chorus and then just kind of saying nonsense and being very vague in a horror kind of theme. Well, I find this a lot of heavy metal also, is that yeah. heavy metal, obviously, you're going to go for, you know, the references to various mythological figures, and, and sometimes it just doesn't hold up, because it's right. like, you can only rehash this stuff so much before, it, you either create an original story out of it, but if you just extrapolate from existing stories, then people also you can't suspend disbelief, they just think you're, you're you know, trudging out the same crap. They don't think you're actually contributing anything. 
Uh, well, that's why a band like like Rob Zombie's earlier stuff I listen to when I'm not really in the mood to feel anything. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not not from a numbness, but more like I just want to hear something that's got a nice beat and that I can sing along with. I'm not looking to feel happy or sad or okay. okay. Also, I can see that. We're yeah. also looking through this purely from the le- through the lens of stories. You know, yeah. in if there's a story being told, whether it be nonfiction or fiction, then this is a tactic that could be employed either either to you know either to a good end or a bad end but but if if a, there's a lot of music out there which it just is yeah. and sometimes you can do this through music itself you know again with you, when you lack lyrics i think this is a, a whole nother a whole nother element of being vague is when you don't exactly know what environment to place your listener in there are no lyrics and some some people if they're not lyric guys if they're not lyric guys or gals then they go into this and they they hear sounds and they don't make the same leaps they don't feel the same way some some music therapy people would would argue that oh no every every sound creates some kind of visceral reaction it's not necessarily true there are many people who are like a musical or they need they need the written word um and instrumentals essentially do nothing for them they're cool you know but they, they don't provide anything well, in our discussions when we did uh, several of our ambient albums, we had to approach this exact idea because, well, uh, Boards of Canada being one of my favorites, mm-hmm. uh, Scale the Summit being one of my other favorites. But I'll tell you this, Boards of Canada, to me, was less of a vague work. And hear there me were out. Clear yeah. There was a clear setting. There was a clear, clear setting. setting and but for anyone who... Scale the Summit didn't have that same thing. And it I wasn't think... as clear... And that's why, in hindsight, it is my preferred over the two albums. That actually is a, a perfect example. It was what I was going to say, that if you, if the opposite side of the coin, and this is what I would say, you know, to someone who, who views instrumentals in that light or doesn't know how to take them and just takes them as a, as a barrage of sounds, is that a lot of times instrumentalists use music and use vagueness within the sound of their instruments to approach the ineffable. And I think that's where they do achieve something just as as metaphysical as, for instance, the double entendre. It sounds that may kind of relate with things you might have heard before, because they're using familiar instruments, perhaps. You know, there's a lot about Seattle Summit that I think is very easy for someone to get on board with. But I think they achieved something there in, in their tone that was so unique and so unlike anything especially in the in the, in the second track uh, atlas novus it's just it, i do feel like i'm in another universe and not a word has been spoken and i can't exactly describe it i can only describe Actually, the the individual elements uh, evergreen is still one of those on pieces album. that uh, to me it gives me happiness to unease and everything in between when i listen to it Especially when I listen to it in the sort of frame of mind of just trying to experience the music note by note mm-hmm. to hear the chord changes as we go along to really focus on the melody. It is just, I don't know how to take it, and it's, that's where the beauty truly, truly gets to me on, on pieces like that, on, on other aspects of migration and other aspects of like some of the techno we've done. Uh, some of the, the, the story elements that are lacking in the techno we've done have been great for me to just enjoy the music and to let myself drift along with sort of the emotional ideas that are associated with it. Uh, something like Aphex Twins got a lot of like weird things going on as I'm looking and listening to it over and over again. It doesn't really focus me into one major aspect and I love being able to just drift along with those songs. So essentially, vagueness for you in terms of music is, is any 
any form of instrumental that that really tries to avoid what you are familiar with and just kind of approaches its own sound and doesn't really care well, if you're familiar with well, it or like not. The, the, that to any listener will be vague. Right. And then the opposite of that instrumentally is like when we did um, John Carpenter's album, when we reviewed it with Chuck and Ed, that one very clearly from start to finish took place in places, strong settings, strong emotions, strong feelings. It wasn't really that vague. You know, we extrapolated some of the details, but most of it you could pull from the sound itself. Actually, I would argue that to some extent that album was a little bit vague, only because you you only get the sense just that it is John Carpenter's style. You at mm -hmm. least, or if you're familiar with his movies, you have the sense that you're in one of his films, but because you can't piece anything together there, I think it did have a little bit of problem of flow and the question that we were looking at lost themes and we didn't know honestly whether they were meant to work together or they, whether each track was its own disparate uh, self-contained entity. That, that I think, uh, I think uh, ushered in some vagueness I think my also, experience with that album. Well, I think also vagueness can be affected by perspective. You might have a clearer perspective on a piece of work than someone else does, which would shift exactly how clear it was yeah, vagueness wouldn't be vagueness if uh, people didn't disagree <laughs> yeah no i agree um i think what we're ultimately saying is uh when regards to vague vagueness is we're talking about something well no what i what? think we're really what? saying <laughs> embrace the unknown like at the end of the day yes, that's one of the great joke. well i'm i'm I was trying to be vague about vagueness never mind i'm <laughs> making a moral one of the best things about being you know in that sort of middle ground where is he saying one thing, is he saying the other, are you supposed to feel this, are you supposed to feel that, is that being open to interpretation is what makes so much of music great. And sure. really pushing that. I mean, there's only so far you can go. You don't want to just play a note for a minute and a half and call that a track and be like, now feel something. Well, I felt that really powerful note for a minute and well, a sure, half. Well, sure, you can do it. You're just walking a line. <laughs> how, what, how much do you want people to like you or not? That's about it. I think that's that's the, about the only thing is, well, it's either art for the sake of art or art for the sake of the artist versus art for the sake of, of other people imparting mm -hmm. something to the world. It means you can't be 100% vague. Otherwise, you will alienate absolutely everyone. Except yourself. Except uh, yourself. Or maybe even yourself. Maybe even your. Well, that's, uh, that's meta. <laughs> <laughs> that is meta. Um, all right. Well, from here, why don't we hop right on into um, um, uh, email spam mail from this week, Steve? Which email, do you have? Spam mail. All right. Spam. The principle isn't to artificially turn out to be effective in the chance of getting banned. You get big chunks of experience building useful structures, that's using a D, on your property considering the XP reward versus the price and go for the cheapest XP bonus you can. This will help with the W. You <laughs> level up faster. Build like mad, perhaps the most useful Farmville hint. You have got a lot of choices regarding home <laughs> furnishings and ready knickknacks for your lawn, but some will give you more than just a nice atmosphere by Farmville 2 Hack. I can't believe Farmville's still around. Yeah, There's well, uh, no, actually, they. Uh, th this was a bit of an old spam. I'm backlogged. <laughs> that's fair point. Okay, um, thanks sure. for that. Whatever. I liked it better last week when we read an email from a person, personally. Thank you, Mr. Hack. 
Mr. Comma Mr. Farmville Mr. Two. <laughs> it's Mr. Two Hack. Two is, is oh, part really? of his last Two? name. Okay, whatever. Um, what's your pick for next week, Steve? Next week, um, I'm gonna change it up a little bit. We don't do a lot of hip hop here on the podcast. True. We've done a little bit here and there. Um, pick some stuff. I've, We've I've, had hip hop guests, though. We have had hip hop guests. Well, of course, I, I wouldn't be me if I didn't bring a hip-hop album that was almost not a hip-hop album, <laughs> but rather just as much hip-hop as it is classical. This is an album by Black Violin, who's uh, a, a duo that I saw actually at a concert or with my other job here at, at Classical Light. That's a little sting. Look for my articles on classicallight.com uh, under Steve Nagel. And you will see a review that I did for uh, Black Violin at the Rockwood somewhere in the range of mid-August. I was pretty blown away by them, uh, to be honest. Uh, just the, the acoustics, everything that, that, that binded them together in a live setting, I thought was pretty solid. Sure, you hear the hip-hop. There's a lot of uh, rapping that's done separately, not while they're, he's necessarily playing violin. That would be pretty insane. But there's another violinist who does most of the comping in the meantime, and it's very elaborate, very interesting stuff. And I would like to see how it's uh, heard in a studio environment. The album is called uh, Stereotypes. Which well. might be a little poke at the blackness. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's it's addressing when you hear hip hop and violins, you're gonna assume things. Of course. And so they're they're poking fun at stereotypes from that angle as well. I'm Absolutely. Sure. So you were selling this really hard as a hip hop, and you got really vague, and all of a sudden it was classical and everything like that. It's both. It can be both. I know. No, it is this both. is this is not vague. This is hip hop meets classical. It's about as it's, oh, it's yeah. about the definition of fusion. There yeah, you go. There's not really much in between. Well, um, I I look forward to that next week. That should be interesting. Right. As as me and John tend to lean more towards hip hop, I'm interested to hear an, a hip hop album you're bringing us. Oh, he previewed a little bit of their work for me a few weeks ago, and it was. It was interesting. Yes, okay. I tried to preview some, some previous tracks. That's before this album was released. It was released on September 18th. If you like it. Pick it up or listen on Spotify, give a preview, hear us talk about it, Next and week. then pick it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we expect of you. That's what Crash Chords yeah. expects of your routine. Uh, on that note, why don't you take your routine, but before you do, remember, music is life. And, and life, life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one -on -one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.